el primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. Do you have your big three? Everyone's getting a big three. You got to go get you a big three. You don't got to be out in the Bahamas like Cuban them, you know, hooping and shit. You don't got to do like KD and having Kyrie and then Beard come through. You can be like the overworked and underpaid now hiding behind the paywall now assembling his own big three, you could be Fraud A. Smith and go get you a Irv, go get you a Will Bond and create your own big three now that Rachel Nichols is about to paint. Who would be my podcast big three? If I had to form a big three to form a pod with, who would it be? I'm not sure. This is all off the top. I haven't really thought about it, but I knew I wanted to start off with the big three stuff. But who would be the pod big three? Hit me up. Y'all Y'all, let me know. Podcast voicemail, as always, is in the podcast description or you can reach out on, on the socials. But who would be if I'm the alleged leader of a big three? Who are my two running mates to make a big three? Who are two individuals that are nice individually, but if you form them with myself, we out of here. Rings galore. Who would that be? Holla at me. But yeah, everyone wants a big three. And this all comes down to control. Those who have it, wield it. Those who don't have to get down a lay down. And Rachel Nichols at one point in time had the power. Rachel Nichols at one point in time was the voice, was an influencer, was someone who was a gatekeeper. And what happens when the gatekeeper gets out gatekeeped? The overworked and underpaid now hiding behind a paywall and now building big threes. Fraud A. Smith, he might be the ultimate gatekeeper at the four letter network. I mean, we've known this before, but. After this latest move, that's all alleged, all alleged. But what looks to be happening, no one wields more power at the four letter network besides Mickey than the overworked, underpaid, now hiding behind a paywall and now building his own big three, Fraud A. Smith. And Rachel Nichols had to take that L and find out the hard way and Max Kellerman got banished back to doing radio. When the bag, the bread is in TV. Wielding power is what matters here. And finding the right people to build that power with is also key. Because we all have dreams. But those dreams can turn to nightmares. Shout out to Meek. So the fact of the matter is, the overworked and underpaid now hiding behind a paywall, now building his own big three. And we can talk about the Kimmel appearance, but I'd rather not because it was Basura. But overworked and underpaid is wielding all the power he is the ultimate gatekeeper 
when it comes to sports media. He is the gatekeeper of all gatekeepers in sports media. When Skip bounced to go to FS1, he became the gatekeeper or the gatekeeper. Now you see the difference between the Sam D and the Sam D. At one point in time, he was a gatekeeper. And then when Skip left, he became the gatekeeper. But now with this Rachel Nichols move and the Max Kellerman jettison back to radio move, and now he's getting late night talk show appearances and hosting gigs again, it's clear that he's the gatekeeper. There's a difference. There's not a lot to this story. So, you know, I'm not going to stick too long on it, but I think it just goes to show that with everything the four letter network is trying to do, and it's very clear what they're trying to do, they're all in on the overworked, underpaid, now hiding behind the paywall, now assembling his own big three, Fraud A. Smith. Like, it's clear as day. We've seen all the four letter network big personalities all go on to do things either independently or making brand deals for M's. So, we know what type of time it is over there at Mickey Land. Like, they're all in on Fraud A. Smith. So when it comes to power, and that's what I try to always bring up here, I try to give y'all insights and opinions mixed in with some behind-the-scenes knowledge to try to enlighten y'all to what's really going on. This is what it is when it comes to power, and we're seeing power being wielded in all type of different ways. There's power in your voice. There's power in your narrative. If you have enough people behind you and supporting you and pushing you and pushing your message, your power then grows. So that's what you see here when you have, you know, I came on here and I've talked about how when athletes create their own platform, while in theory it it would be great if athletes come on and really give it up. But like I've spoken about here in the past, like they really just talk to their mans and them just like non-athletes do. You might get some crazy wild locker room stories, but by and large, they're just performing what they've seen other non-athlete media types do. They're just trying to be journalists without being a journalist, but they're mixing in some wild and crazy workout stories to try to entice you to come in because they're giving you the tea. And this is kind of what we've seen over these last couple of weeks that I've been gone. And by the way, shout out to those who did reach out. Everything is good over here. It's just some technical shit going on behind the scenes. You know, this pod and this whole operation is a one-man gang. I'm a one-man operation. I host it, produce it, edit it, uh, post it on socials, post it on my actual website, uh, deal with the podcast hosting companies, and that's kind of where the issues have been popping up over the last month and change to keep it a buck. So dealing with a lot of technical shit behind the scenes that things aren't going the way that I want them to. So... I'm trying to figure out different ways to give y'all pause, different ways to give y'all content while that stuff gets figured out. So just keep locked in, locking on the, on the social media, Twitter, especially, because that's kind of where I'm always more. That's always more where I'm at more times than not. So, um, but thank you to those who did reach out. Everything is good here. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, I was, if, if you look at my notes app right now, it's just full of topics because I've been trying to figure out a way and carve out a way to drop a pod so that y'all can, you know, still hear me and I can still talk to y'all and interact with y'all and have that whole thing. So we good. We here. We back. The Draymond KD thing happened and it set the Internet on fire and the little trailer, the little teaser trailer came out and oh shit, Draymond's asking and, you know, I'm calling him by his government name because he hasn't really kicked anyone in the nuts, but y'all know who he is. H&H still lives on. 
So, matter of fact, fuck it. So, H&H, ask the Slim Reaper the tough questions. The questions that the mass media is afraid to ask. But he has a different perspective. He shared a locker room with him. It's a unique interview. It's a unique opportunity to maybe get Slim Reaper to answer questions that if, you know, an analytics dude at a press conference would ask, KD would never really go that in-depth. And he said as much in this interview with H&H, the habitual nut hitter. So these platforms are going to keep spawning up. My thing is, who is H&H going to talk to next to where we're going to get information like Slim Reaper did? And if you really want to pierce it or parse it, however you want to say it, did we really learn that much from the KD interview? Did you learn something from the KD interview? They both tag team in ownership. Now, I know how I feel about the, the Dubs ownership. I've been trashing the ownership and the front office for a while now. I've been trying to tell y'all that they gassed, that they're gassed off the fact that they fell into drafting Steph and Clay and built something from there. They thought they were going to revolutionize basketball. They thought they had figured out the cheat code. When in actuality, they fell into two, two first round picks back to back and turn it into something. And they had a coach who built it up. And for other reasons that are known to most, but not to all, they had to get him about the paint. And then they brought in a coach that basically pushed autopilot in a way that squad went and got off three championships in five years. So Slim Reaper and H&H are trashing ownership or trashing the front office. They tricked it off. They're the reason why he bounced. It's all of that. When we just know that's just not true. We, do, we know that's not true. We know KD did not make his mind up that night when the H&H, when the habitual nut hitter called him a bitch. That's not when it happened. His mind didn't automatically shift to Brooklyn or to hooping with Kyrie in the beard when the habitual nut hitter called him a bitch. We just know that's factually inaccurate we know the KD and Kyrie thing was happening from the prior Olympics we've seen the pictures we've seen the all-star game photos in the tunnel we've had all the reports unauthorized and authorized that have admitted as such and Mans is going to sit up there in chairs that are way too short for him and the habitual nut hitter and he's trying to tell us that that was a deciding factor. Like, that was the moment. We just, when we just know that's just not true. So what happens when athletes get a platform and they're lying too? Yeah, I know how I feel about the blue check boys. And we're trying to get them up out of here with every chance we get. But what happens when the athletes are just doing their version of blue check boy shit? What happens to the content game when that's a thing? I don't have an answer for you right now, to be quite honest, because the athlete giving their own voice to things and giving their authorized opinion was supposed to be the cheat code. In theory, it makes sense. Who better to talk about sports, to talk about team athletics than athletes who have performed on a high level? Who's better than them? Who's more qualified? Whose resume? Whose bona fides are better? 
we can trash the media and call them out because, oh, you didn't play. You don't have the credibility. You don't have the authenticity. You've never been in that position. So how can you criticize so-and-so? Cool. On the surface, that's all facts. But when you have athletes who most of the time have been in that situation, most of the time have performed, but then they're given their bias, their spin, their illogical opinions. Then what happens? It goes back to the point I've made a whole bunch of pods ago. <laughs> it's like it's a popularity contest. It's just basically who do you like? Who do you like? If you like that athlete, if you like that media personality and they're talking their version of their talk, you're going to like it. The whole, you know, and I've, I've had to learn this on my journey through media. I've had to learn this through my journey as talent. It's like, oh, they just like dude. <laughs> it's like you, you see what it is. And sometimes you get to work with people. And, you know, there's a there's a podcast series that's kind of dope. Um, I think it's don't meet your heroes or something like that. It's, it's pretty dope. And it's like, yeah, that, that's like an old adage, but they're trying to like flip it with like new age stories of people meeting their heroes and learning. Yikes, you should not meet your heroes. Um, so, yeah, like sometimes you meet your heroes or you meet contemporaries or you meet, you know, idols that you're like, oh, man, wow, this person is really at the top of the game or. I admire this, how this person gets down. And then you see what it is. You see the secret sauce. You see how the sausage is made. And then you're like, oh, shit. Oh, this is trash, bro. Oh, this is basic as fuck. Or this is generic as fuck or whatever. I've been there. I've been in those spots. Where I'm like, oh, that's it? That's all it is? Oh, well, this is whack. <laughs> Straight up. Like, that's just what it is. So, like. What happens when athletes are doing the thing that they criticize the generic media for? When you have these all athlete platforms and they're promising you the real. You know, you've you've heard me get on I am athlete and the whole thing of Brandon Marshall, whose whole goal is to go viral every episode by doing something, be memed or whatever to go viral every episode. That's his goal. And who knows the media game because he works in regular media as well. So he's taking what he's learned from that side and bringing it to his own athlete control platform. Same thing with LeBron and uninterrupted. And the shop and everything else that goes along with that. Now we have KD who's got the boardroom and he's got his whole media content thing. We see what they're doing with the habitual nutheader. Turner is behind him. They're empowering him crazy because they know the four letter network is going to come hunting. Disney got a bag for the habitual nutheader whenever. So that's why Turner is trying to give the habitual nutheader all the opportunities now so they can establish maybe some loyalty. That's why they're promising him those seats once Shaq and Kenny and Chuck, yo, habitual nutheader, you got one of those. It could be you, Wade, and Candace with Lefko. We're going to keep this thing rolling. But again, when you have opportunities like the habitual nutheader and Slim Reaper sitting down and having a 24-minute conversation that's supposed to be raw and uncut and 
We're going to ask all the questions. You're going to get all the answers you've been wanting to know. And then at the end of the 24 minutes, you just kind of like, I ain't learned shit. Then what? And to piggyback off of that, we got to go to the Malice in the Palace doc. The one hour Netflix, John, that was, um, it was a lot of hype around. And you had a lot of, you know, big name personalities talking about it. And they were talking about it in a way that was troubling to me because they're not on their square. They're not on their job. You had big name sports personalities saying, you know, they've never heard, you know, Metal World Peace, Ron Artest, however you want to call them. They never heard him talk so in-depth about the malice in the palace and the fact of, you know, the, the team psychologist and the fact that he owned his he had his own personal psychologist and what she instructed him to do when he feels his rage or whatever, whatever. They're acting like this is new information. He said all of that in his own doc that was on Showtime a couple of years ago. What was it called? Quiet Storm, I believe. I think it was Quiet Storm. Like, he did that already. He put that out there already. So to see media personalities acting like this is some sort of groundbreaking information that they have never heard, it's like, oh, so y'all really don't watch stuff. Y'all don't search out and find. I had to go find Quiet Storm. I had to go find that doc. It was on Showtime. It was heavily promoted for maybe a week or two, but then it kind of vanished. I had to go find that and watch that. And I would recommend y'all do the same because I think that's, the real Ron Artest you're going to get from there. He breaks the whole shit down. I think he breaks it down better for the, maybe the, the 15, 20 minutes they talk about it in his doc. than they did for this almost hour doc that's on Netflix. Real shit. I learned more from the quiet storm doc than this malice, malice in the palace doc that was on Netflix. So, you know, take that for what you will. And a lot's been made of, you know, this is a Jermaine O'Neal produced, He's an executive producer. So, again, we have athletes controlling the narrative. Now, y'all know how I feel about David Stern. This fuck David Stern for life, right? If anyone's here to trash David Stern, I'm always here for it. I've always got my ears up, perked up, ready to listen. So when Jermaine O'Neal is going in about, you know, the injustices that was done to him, there was a 10-year gag order, so he couldn't even talk about all the incidents with the malice in the palace and all the fallout from it. I said, oh, okay, yeah, now we're going to get into this David Stern bag. And then they kind of tap danced around it. I'm like, wait, you have an athlete-controlled doc, an athlete who was under a 10-year gag order, to talk about the malice in the palace. He produces a doc on Netflix, which doesn't have any jurisdiction, allegedly, in regards to the league controls, what they can and cannot show. But then you see all the footage that they were able to show in the doc. And then you realize, oh, that's NBA licensed footage. That's a hell of a lot of footage that got aired. You don't see all them angles in the Quiet Storm doc with Meta. You don't see that in the Ronald Test John. So for Jermaine O'Neal to get that footage to show in his doc about the malice in the palace, did he have to fall back on airing out the now late David Stern in his own doc, even though he was placed under a 10 year gag order by David Stern? 
But because he needed the footage and he's got to go through Adam Silver and his peoples. And we know how Adam Silver was handpicked by David Stern to be his heir apparent. So did Adam Silver protect his man from the great beyond? To make sure he don't get aired out too crazy in this doc. We'll give you the footage, but you can't air out my mans, though. I know you got to get something off, so we'll let you get something off, but you can't go full blast. So again, another athlete-controlled doc, another athlete-controlled piece of content that's supposed to give us in-depth, unknown, unforeseen. But is it really? And then you got to talk about the biases because I don't know about y'all. I was there. I was old enough to be cognizant. I was a huge NBA fan back then. And yes, fan as in fan dumb. Um, but when it comes to Jermaine O'Neal, they made it seem like Jermaine O'Neal was like this superstar. Now, again, it's executive produced by Jermaine O'Neal. So I'm not mad at him getting his shit off, but do y'all remember Jermaine O'Neal being that big of a star? I mean, they made it seem like he was like upper echelon, top tier, top five, top ten in the league. And I don't ever remember Jermaine O'Neal being talked about in that light. So it was funny to me to keep hearing like, yeah, man, Jermaine was just one of those dogs, man. He was one of those dudes, man. Like people feared him. I'm like, wait, what? Jermaine O'Neal? Who, what, when, how, why? Jermaine O'Neal? Seriously? So that threw me for a loop. But but again, it's executive produced by Jermaine O'Neal. So how can you not talk your shit in your own doc hack? How can you not have your peers talk their shit about you in your favor on your own doc? So that's where we're faced with these things where it's like we want the content we want. We don't want the the four letter network or any other sports networks glaze of just blue check boys shilling for these events. But we also don't want (laughs) athletes trying to get their shit off, hyping themselves up to be something that they weren't either. Where's the medium? Where's the truth in that doc? We saw a hell of a lot more footage than we've ever seen. A lot of un- unforeseen footage, behind the scenes footage, all of that. And, you know, Captain Jack gave it up. Ron Artest gave it up. I would have thought Reggie would have been in there more. I didn't need the whole Reggie Miller backstory as if we didn't know it. But a lot of the times in media, you have to pretend and treat stories as if they're being told for the first time because a lot of this stuff lives on. I don't know if 20 years from now, somebody's going to be watching that doc and relearning or being introduced to Reggie Miller through that doc. But I guess that's the mindset. That's the purpose in terms of filmmaking. For me, it left me. uh, It left me, I I think, dissatisfied. Dissatisfied is the right word. I didn't learn nothing. I'm a big documentary person. I like biopics. I like documentaries. I like documentary podcast whatever the format is if it's a documentary and it's good oh yeah by the way check out one year 1977 i posted that on my ig story there's some really good episodes in there including uh they talk about roots and alex haley uh fbi informant that he was yeah in case you didn't know that um 
that's a great episode. They got another episode on Elvis when he died, like the media frenzy and the lengths that the National Enquirer was one. All right, yeah, yeah, just one year, 1977. Again, that's that's before I was born, so that that's that that's before my time. But there was some real good shit in that podcast episode, uh, that podcast series. So that's what I'm saying. Like it's a documentary podcast, right? So all documentaries, I'm going to give it a chance. If if it's interesting, I'll give it a shot. So I'm here for a Malice in the Palace documentary. They sold me on the fact of, yo, you're going to see footage you've never seen before. And I'm like, oh, shit. Jermaine O'Neal is executive producing it. Oh, shit. Because we know he has a, I didn't know he had the gag order. So I'll say that. That was something I did not. I, that is something that I learned. I did not know there was like a 10-year gag order. He went to court, won. Nobody reported anything. Full, full of the network didn't break into coverage to, you know, to air out. The fact that Jermaine O'Neal was absolved from all charges or whatever, that wasn't a thing. So I learned that, that there was a 10-year gag order. But outside of that, and the behind-the-scenes footage or the never-before-seen footage, meh. And that's what we're going to keep getting. Can we ever get just the truth? The fact that the dude who went on the court the fan that went on the court almost got put to sleep by Jermaine O'Neal is still talking crazy all these years later. Like I would have loved that the doc and I was going to tweet this out, but I said, no, I'll save it for the pod thinking I was going to be able to pod that, that week that it came out. But I was like, yo, I would have loved if they could have showed like they did in last dance, Jermaine O'Neal, the iPod of the dude that almost got put to sleep by him. Still talking kind of greasy, like low-key greasy. I would have loved to see Jermaine O'Neal's reaction to seeing dude still wilding all these years late, all these years later, still trying to blame Jermaine O'Neal, still trying to blame the players for how it went. I would have loved to have that reaction of him on the iPad, just like Jordan looking at the iPad and hearing GP talk crazy or or Zeke talking crazy and just capturing that natural reaction. That's what you get. That's what we want. Mans is over here saying this. What you think? That's essentially what we want. At least what I want. That's the doc I want to see. Yo, Jermaine, man still talking greasy. And just press record. But we didn't get that. We got a lot of long answers with, you know, big words and. Jermaine O'Neal was in his bag. It's executive produced by him. So it is what it is. But will we ever get the truth of the malice in the palace? I think Captain Jack pretty much has has given it up all that he can. I think Ron Artest has given it up all that he can on his part. I think, as I said, I think he gave it up more on his own doc. What he showed more in terms of his in-depth feelings on it, what drove him to that point, everything else. That's, you know, that's all you're going to get. When the athletes control the narratives and the athletes are just trying to counteract what the mainstream media does, this is the type of content you're going to get. But when these athletes are learning from mainstream media and they go and go do their own independent wink, wink media entities, like, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to do what they've been taught. They go get communication degrees. They go get journalism degrees. They go get media degrees and they go do the same thing that the mainstream media has already been doing. It's rinse and repeat just with the athlete on the front. 
I think it's a problematic thing. I think it's kind of taken the 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 content game and it's kind of hurt it. Not kind of, it has. It's hurt it. The narrative of you're thought to be getting something never before heard or seen or these stories or these guys know these athletes because they've played with them or they've played against them and they have a relationship so they can get these guys to come on and talk and share their story and knowledge and all of that type of stuff. Like the premise is amazing. It's the execution that's been subpar. I was at the gig a couple of weeks ago. We were on the road, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and um, was doing a golf tournament. So we were doing that whole thing. And if you've never been to a golf tournament, it's very highfalutin. Uh, You know, I was whipping around the golf course on the golf cart, and I pulled up to this one-hole pause, and uh, I got stopped over to the marshals. It was a group of us. You know, these these car paths on the golf course are very narrow. So it's one, one, one way and one lane. So... I'm like third in line of like four cards. So the marshal is the person that halts pedestrians, fans, anybody else, media, which I guess I was at that particular time, uh, from moving around because much like tennis where the players need complete silence to do their thing, golf is very much the same way. So they stop us and the marshal's white. The people driving the two cars in front of me are white and the car behind me is white. So the person makes their uh, swings the club and does their thing, takes their shot. And then the marshal opens up the uh, the, the fence again so we can continue to drive along the, the cart path. Everyone goes the two carts in front of me go and then I roll past him. And as I roll past him, he decides to tell me. Make sure you don't run over J.R. Smith. <laughs> Which, I mean, was it very subtle? Like, that's not a very subtle way to let me know that, oh, J.R. Smith is here. Let me let the black guy on the cart know that J.R. Smith is here. Um, I mean, cool. Like, I already knew that because I worked the tournament. Like, I didn't need to do the whatever. So, um, yeah, Jr. is going to go play golf. He's going to go play college golf. He got he has his years of eligibility remaining. So the NCAA granted him that, or I guess confirmed that he still has years of eligibility. And it's a great thing. It's a great look. He's going to go be an Aggie. He's bringing considerable attention to black golfers and just the the that sport and that exposure. As someone who spent this whole entire summer working golf tournaments, I can tell you. There is a dearth of participation from minorities in general, not even speak about blacks, just minorities in general in in and around the game of golf. So I think Jr. being in the mix will bring a a certain light to it. I don't know if brother's going to start playing golf more because Jr. is doing it Uh, like like the notion was thought to be when Tiger was was, you know, going full Tiger. But I think it's a dope story. My thing is, though. Did that marshal tell the white car drivers also to not run over J.R. Smith? Or did he tell them not to run over Brooks Kepka? Because it was, it was other white luminaries. I mean, the Pro-Am, if you don't know what a Pro-Am is, a Pro-Am is basically where uh, celebs, local people, fans, uh, what's, what, what's the other word I'm looking for? 
boosters, donators, whatever, fundraisers, whatever, they get to participate and they actually pay for the opportunity to, you know, play golf with these, you know, luminaries, celebs, stars, known golfers, professional golfers. That's what Wednesday of every major golf tournament or just the PJ Tour in general, that's what you're getting, right? So I'm like, oh, don't tell me not to run over JR and not tell those white dudes, hey, don't run over Brooks Kepka. Anywho, a story that I thought was going to have legs a couple of weeks ago that, like, I took a lot of notes on was the Tom Brady thing. You hear what Tom Brady said about the NFLPA? Like, the story was hot for, like, 36 hours, and then I haven't heard a word since, not even from Brady. There was no follow-ups done by the media I don't I didn't see anything too crazy on social media outside of that 36 hour window. But Tom Brady basically called the NFLPA ignorant. He called DeMar Smith and anyone else affiliated with the NFLPA, including there's team reps on every team. He called them, he generalized them and called them ignorant. And this all stems from Forbes put out a list of reported NFL franchise values. And Forbes reported that NFL franchises went up 14% while the salary cap dropped 20. (laughs) And Tom Brady jumps out the window and calls the NFL PA ignorant. Here's the thing, though. (laughs) (laughs) I would say over the last five years, maybe even more, this is all off top. And this might require a trash narrative. I may have to add this to season two, a trash narrative, but I'm trying to like finish that. So I'm not really trying to do a whole new episode, but we'll see. Let me know if if y'all think this topic should be a trash narrative. Here's the thing, though. Over the last five years, at minimum, of Tom Brady's tenure as a Patriot, he kept restructuring his contract to appease the organization so that they could go get more players to help him. Now, ultimately, those players were hardly ever on offense, but you know what I'm saying. He kept restructuring his contract. He could have been making best player in the league money. He could have been making Mahomes money. He could have been making now Josh Allen money. We'll get there. But he chose not to because of the Patriot way or because Belichick in the front office never really valued him like that. Tom Brady's value from a contract perspective was never indicative of his actual performance. I mean, you could really get into that Tom Brady bag and talk about how the best years that Tom Brady performed, they never really won chips. We can have that conversation. But for those last five years, for sure, he kept restructuring his contract. He kept taking less money. And the narrative was, well, look, his wife is a supermodel. His wife makes more money than him, so he doesn't need the cash out crazy and hit him for 30 M's a year, even if it is funny money. He didn't need to do that. He was good with 17, 
16, 18, 19. He was good with that. While other QBs her, who weren't in the same pantheon as him were making more. Tom Brady was always cashing out with team-friendly contracts. But now he got a sniff of that power in Tampa. Now he's over in Tampa and he's telling the front office who he wants and they're going and getting them. He ain't used to that. He ain't never had that. They tried. You could point to ancillary, you know, instances where the Patriots tried to give him some help. But those chips didn't happen. They tried A.B. Didn't happen. We had the Moss years. Never got a chip. But in Tampa, I want this, 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 and this. And Tampa says, okay, you can have all of it. And we'll throw in Fournette on the side. And we'll go get Gronk out of retirement. So how can Tom Brady, who was notorious for team-friendly contracts, now call out the NFL PA because of the fact that NFL franchise values continues to skyrocket because of the popularity of the sport, in part due to the success of people like Tom Brady. But the salary cap is diminishing, in part because of people like Tom Brady. So is it Uchiwali or is it one Mike? I know you can be both, but in this case, it's looking real shaky in the light for your man's Tom Brady. I tweeted this out when it happened, but I'll come on here and talk about it. How much does Josh Allen bust down Stefan Diggs with that new money? How much is owed? Who should get paid more? Josh Allen's agent or Stefan Diggs? Who should get more out of that contract? Who really negotiated that contract? Stefan Diggs or Josh Allen's agent? Because this upswing that everyone is, says that is like they've never seen such a one-year turnaround. Josh Allen, who was on the verge of being a bust a la Mitchell Trubisky. Throws a lot of picks, fumbling, stumbling. Doesn't have the IQ. He's airmailing wide open receivers. Then all of a sudden that next year, which was last year. He was in the MVP conversation for a little bit. People were actually believing that he could lead a team to a Super Bowl. And they claimed that it was just maturation process. He worked so hard in the offseason. Or (laughs) they gave him a bona fide all-pro number one receiver who can get open on everybody. Everybody and anybody. I mean, we talk a lot about completion percentage and QBs like Cam Newton get destroyed for their lack of percentage or not having a high percentage completion rate and all that type of jazz. But 11 percentage points alone, Josh Allen's completion percentage jumped up that much just last year alone. Now you're telling me that's all him? Diggs ain't had nothing to do with that? Diggs who made Kirk Cousins look respectable. When you have a bona fide number one talent like Stefan Diggs, he makes any quarterback look good. But the Bills fell for the trap. They're giving a shit ton of money and funny money to Josh Allen. 
And it's all predicated on the fact that they went and brought him a bonafide number one wideout. Did y'all see actual improvement? Y'all saw how he was still running around fumbling? Dropping the ball in playoff games, scrambling? I saw that. Did the Bills not see that? They're ignoring that. Because of the record. Because they advanced to the playoffs. I don't know, man. I don't know. NFL has a lot of shaky things going on. And we pivot from Josh Allen to your man's Lamar. And your man's Lamar has has had COVID twice now. He's unvaxxed. And he still wants to get more information about the vaccine. So this man has caught COVID not once, but twice. But still doesn't know. Does he want to lose his sense of taste, smell? Does he want to be Miles Garrett? Does he want to be Cam? Cam's still running around here unvaxxed. And he's with the contact tracing and he has to miss time. Because he doesn't want to get vaxxed because he's very particular into what he puts in his body. And while I can identify with a lot of that because of my dietary uh, choices that I've made being plant based. Bruh. You went through that last year. He caught the Rona last year and he was a shell of his former self when he came back from the Rona. If that one experience wasn't enough. What the fuck else do you need to go through? You almost lost your job in the league because of the Rona. Cam Newton looked done. After getting off to a promising start, a probably better start than most thought he could do with the Pats. He was running the ball. He was still that threat, that goal line threat, that red zone threat. And he was able to throw to the D and F, D, E and F level talent receivers that the Patriots gave him. Then he caught that Rona. And it visibly affected him physically. There's no way you could watch how he played over the back half of the year. And not admit that the Rona fucked with him and it affected his performance on the field. So to go through all of that and almost lose your job in entirety and still come back on some I'm not vaxxed because I'm particular about what goes into my body type shit, then okay, bro. Okay. The NFL ain't playing these games, bro. These dudes going to have to get vaxxed in and around the game. I'm going to be working NFL games this year. They are making sure everyone around us is vaxxed. Media. Staff, stadium staff, everyone involved in these games is going to have to be vaxxed, bruh. So play that game if you want to. Fuck around if you want to. But Lamar Jackson out here running around talking about he still doesn't know too much about it. People are dying, bruh. Still. Still. People are dying. Young, old, no symptoms. Symptoms. People are dying, bruh. Imagine you're on the cusp of the type of bag we know Lamar's going to get. We just saw what Josh Allen got. We know what Mahomes got. We know what Dak got. We know what Russell got. You're the next one up. Are you going to fuck around here on that Rona? You're going to play games with the Rona. When you're on the cusp of that type of bag, 
It's just asinine. It's an asinine take. The Delta variant, the original Rona. So you have the, the album version and the remix still kicking ass out here. The album version and the remix is still kicking ass out here and you still playing games. Insane. Insane. And I mean, we haven't forgotten trust Trump, right? We haven't forgotten that or have we? We forgot that about Lamar. He was riding for Trump. So, I mean, we can't really take too much. We love him as an athlete. We love him as a football player. Well, some of us do. But I mean, when it comes to anything else, it's like, all right, bro, just, 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 just go play ball. I'm not here on that shut up and dribble type wave. But I mean, if Lamar's going to be out here talking about trust Trump and catching the Rona twice and saying, you know, I still need to learn more about this vax. I mean, maybe he just needs to shut up and play football for the better part of our society. Just shut up and play football. When you have the same takes as Cole Beasley, you need to look yourself in the mirror. When you're when you're on the same type of time. When you're riding with a man who drops vaccine diss tracks and tweets up a storm, but won't say nothing when no cameras are in front of him. You kind of need to check your allies on that one. Touchdown Jesus about the paint. That was a lot quicker than I thought. That was a lot quicker than I thought. I thought Urban Meyer was really going to try to find a way to give us more touchdown Jesus. I can't believe he got touchdown Jesus about the paint so quickly. I mean, it makes sense. It's the right thing to do. Obviously, I mean, he should never brought him in camp in the first place. But it's like, I mean, after those attempted blocks went viral, I mean, he had no choice. He had no choice. I've seen better blocks during my flag football days. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen better blocks on AstroTurf of Hunter College playing intramural flag football than what Timothy Touchdown Jesus Tebow did in NFL preseason. It was an abomination of, of attempting to block someone on multiple occasions. Like, come on, son. But I think the funnier thing with this whole Jags, Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow thing, Urban Meyer says the Jags are a one-year rebuilding plan. One year, not three years like you might hear some say, or five years is normally the standard when it comes to rebuilding plans. Urban Myers said the Jags are a one-year rebuilding plan. Is Trevor Lawrence that nice? Like, as long as you have a good young quarterback, you got a chance in the league, right? So does he mean that? Like, it doesn't take that much. Like, look, they gave Josh Allen one receiver, and the Bills were, whoa, they were damn near in the AFC Championship game, right? So, like, does he mean it in that way? Or does he mean the overhaul that he's done of this roster was so fluid and so smooth that they ready to go next year as a full team? Because I don't see that. <laughs> I don't see that. But if he tells me, yo, dog, Trevor Lawrence is so nice, we going to rock out this year, get the kinks out a little bit, and then next year, it's on. We're going to go get him one weapon like the Bills did with Josh Allen, and it's on. If you're telling me that, that I can at least enter the spectrum of understanding. But if you're trying to tell me you can overhaul the whole roster, this ain't college. This ain't Florida. This ain't the Ohio State University. This ain't any of that. This ain't even Youngstown State. This ain't any of that. 
This ain't, I just need one recruit. That's basically him saying, I need one recruiting class. Saying that the rebuilding plan is only going to last one year is basically making it akin to college where you're just one recruiting class away. So is he making this too much of a college to pro simile? Is he really trying to make the transition this smooth? He thinks we're one year away. Or is that just a sales pitch? That could be the sales pitch. I mean, they got the QB, right? Right? I don't know. I, I've given up trying to be the QB guru because they've dumbed things down so much in the NFL these days that anyone could throw for 4,000 yards. So the metrics are off in terms of statistical achievements that really mean something. Check down routes are now the key routes. So completion percentage to me is ridiculous. Telling me some somebody completes 70% of his passes doesn't mean anything when 85% of those 70% are 10 yards or less. It's a whole bunch of slants and button hooks that are making these or, or check downs that are making all of these completion percentages rise up. It's all about high completion percentage, low interceptions. And Aaron Rodgers is kind of out here saying he's the father of that shit. The few times he's spoken in the media and the few times he's been open and transparent in the media. I think he was on Levitard. He's been on a couple of other platforms, but he's been kind of putting out like, yo, dog, this whole transition. Like I changed the game. I changed the position. QBs play differently now because I came into the game and I was able to throw a shit ton of touchdowns with no little to no picks. And now that's the standard you have to have your QB live up to. Because back in the day, you could throw for 30 some touchdowns and 19 interceptions and still be considered elite. If you throw a lot, you're going to get picked. But Rodgers walked into the league and became a cheat code. He was able to give you 30, 40 TDs and maybe five to nine interceptions. But he's a one of one. So much like Steph Curry ruined the game of basketball because he's a one of one in terms of the way he's able to shoot. And everyone just runs to go copy that because it's a copycat league. All sports are copycat. Once you find something that works, it kind of changes the equation Everyone wants to run and go copy it. So Steph Curry ruining basketball because no one else could shoot as proficiency or as proficient from three like him. Is Aaron Rodgers that's that same way where he's so elite and proficient at quarterbacking that he could throw so many touchdowns with so few picks that now all the QBs now have to do it like that. And are we asking too much of QBs to do it like that? I don't know. Just thought I'd put that out there. I'll finish off this pod by talking about Jason Kidd. When the Jason Kidd thing popped up and the stories came out of his coaching tenure days, as he's back in the mix, oh man, it just brought back so many memories. Like, I couldn't wait to pod when these J Kidd stories came out. And there are some that did not come out that I remembered. Uh, But the main one that got all the attention was he called practice on Christmas Eve after a bad loss when he was coaching the Bucs. 
He turned to the vets for their input and did what he wanted to do anyway. So he went to the vets on the Bucks and was like, yo, I think I might want to call practice because that loss was so bad and I didn't like how we looked and how we played and lethargic and yada, yada, yada. And the vets were like, I don't think that's the move, bruh. I like, I feel you, but I don't think that's the move, bruh. And J.K. went and did that shit anyway. Infuriated the vets on the team. And apparently he had a whipping boy and his whipping boy was Larry Sanders. Who at one point in time, man, I thought he was going to be a lot more than what he was. I mean, he had some issues. He was a weed head. So he kept getting busted for weed. And it turned out he had some other mental health things going on as well. But this was pre people really giving a damn about mental health. So he just kind of got lost in the wind. But Larry Sanders, I know at one point, wasn't it Larry Saunders? It was weird how people were pronouncing his name. I still can't really call it if it is Sanders or Saunders. But he was one of those like rim running bigs before rim running became a thing. He was a defensive stalwart. He could throw him alleys and all that type of stuff. So he was kind of like the prototypical uh, rim running five. That's all the rage today back then. But that's who Jason Kidd picked on as head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. He berated him so bad that Larry Sanders claimed his body went into convulsions from dealing with it all. Convulsions from dealing with Jay Kidd. Can you imagine? The man who would go on to throw water on himself just to get an extra timeout because he tricked off the fact that he forgot that he had given up or used all of his timeouts. The man with that type of IQ, that man was able to berate Larry, Larry Sanders or Saunders, so much that his body went into convulsion. Man's got the shakes. He got the shakes. Yikes. Fucking yikes. Like, that was the one that was like, yo, that's OD. But this next one, though, funny as hell. Did you know Jason Kidd likes water parks? Like, a lot. Like, to the point that he's drawing up a design for one instead of an actual imbalance play during a Bucks game where they were down late to the Bulls. Right. That's a thing that happened. J-Kid is out here drawing up water park designs on a clipboard while his team is down late in an actual regular season game. And then Brandon Jennings called him out on it and apparently made him cry. Brandon Jennings. Made him cry because Brandon Jennings wasn't fucking with drawing up water park designs while the squad is down late in the game. It's going to be fun in Dallas this year. It's going to Luca have fun. You wanted your way. Well, we all know who's the de facto GM out there, but you wanted your way. Good luck. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. Real quick, I had this in the tuck too, but I want to make sure I get this one off here on this pod. Uh, the Knicks did not extend the qualifying offer to Frank Nilakina, which made him a unrestricted free agent. 
And that continues the streak of Nixtape hasn't signed their own draft pick to a second contract since Charlie Ward in 94. Nixtape. Appreciate y'all for listening. <laughs> Thanks again to those who reached out. We all good on this side. Um, stay locked in on the Twitter account. If some more fuck shit happens behind the scenes, technically, I will be way more informative there. I was trying to keep shit low because not that it was my fault, but I was just hoping it would be a small little snafu that would get fixed. Uh, if shit continues to be on some bullshit, we're going to have to get loud about it. And they don't want those problems. But if it has to be that, then it will be that. Um, so next week, I will check in again. I will be, yeah, I'll be around. I'm no, no travel this upcoming week. So I'll be able to give you all a pod from a technical perspective. We don't know. We shall see. But from my perspective, I'm here. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do content. So, so y'all know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. The Sam D Podcast. I'm the Sam D. I'm out.